and welcome to today's podcast. It is, and I think I've now said this at least one year, probably two years straight. This is my favorite episode of the year. Probably one that is not your favorite unless you're a uh, diehard baseball fan because professional sports announcer, uh, Walleye and Hens broadcaster, play-by-play guy, analyst, Matt Melzak will be on for the next hour or so. Now, to avoid you from dipping out and not listening to 83% of this podcast, um, if you were here this time last year, you knew that Matt was on the precipice of being a dad. So we're going to start with Matt, not uh, Matt Melzak, professional sports broadcaster, Matt Melzak, uh, becoming professional dad, 11 months into the dad experiment in just a moment. First up, you may have seen Tony Geftos' story. Tony from 13ABC uh, did a story about over the last month, uh, a thief or thieves all similarly dressed in like uh, athleisure gym attire like me. It wasn't me. Walking out with big TVs on the, uh, the Best Buy on Monroe. Just walking out. There's pictures of these dudes carrying the TVs on their heads. And I want to know more. Um, I did find out a little bit more, but nothing I can really share. Nothing that would actually add to this story at all. And I know that theft has been up in these COVID times for a variety of reasons. Um, Maybe there are not necessarily the consequences that there was or could be when it comes to a police presence because we have some pretty violent things happening and someone shoplifting at Walgreens is just not something that they can address. And when people find that out, they continue to shoplift or other people hear that and they continue to shoplift. And oh yeah, by the way, a lot of these people might not even be bad people but they can barely put food on their table because we have inflation and they can barely afford to live. So they're willing to set their morals and ethics aside and they're going to steal. Even these people that are taking the TVs, maybe instead of taking food, they're taking the TVs because they know they can take them and they can sell them for a lot so they can put food on their table. I'm not defending them. I'm just giving you a very valid reason why stuff like this is happening. The other side of it is, I've known for many years now, maybe even more so recently, uh, employees, and maybe you know better than me because you might be one, they're told don't engage with these people. Um, And if you know that you're not going to be engaged with or stopped, uh, you're more likely to just walk out with stuff. Maybe there are employees who dislike their job and they are encouraged to say, hey, sir, ma'am, can I help you with that? Maybe raise the voice, put these people on alert and go wink, wink. We know what you're up to. But maybe they're they they're exasperated with their working situation and their boss or their pay. And they go, it ain't worth $13.27 an hour for me to stop this person in case they pull a gun, a knife, decide to knock me the hell out. So I do a uh, tongue in cheek somewhat sarcastically and cynically here for the stuff happening at Best Buy. If you are going to continue to do this, um, I I ask you if you would be a bit more audacious. Ask for a store employee to help you out. (laughs) Like, let's just see how much you can get away with. Again, I say that very tongue in cheek. Um, uh, He's a new dad, 11 month old, 
who's just starting to come into our personality. Let's talk to professional dad and professional sports broadcaster, my good friend Matt Melzak from the Walleye, from the Walleye, the Mud Hens, and Kenlin and Caitlin. Dad, can I call you Dad? You, uh, yes, you could. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice. Likewise, man. Um, happy, uh, happy, almost opening day. Very true, right? It's crazy. Um, are you? You sound. Are you? Are you tired? Are you? Is is Kenlin time wearing you out? No, no, it's good. She's she's napping right now, so I'm trying to be a little quieter, right? So not possible, not possible, not possible for me. You know it. Well, this is uh, this is my my very favorite podcast of the year. I look forward to our to our chats. I love it. I love it. Me too. It's fun. Um, I enjoy it. Is Kenlin is is it ten months? She's eleven months 11 now. Months. Has having a newborn, an infant, been easier to manage with your schedule because it's so unconventional, or that much more challenging? I would say that much more challenging just because of like early on it was the odd sleep schedule for her and the constant wake ups, you know, that that happened in the first few months. Uh, And then we were in the playoffs, right, too, for hockey and baseball going. So I don't know if I slept more than two or three hours at a time and for months. Uh, at the most, but uh, you know, now that now that she sleeps through the night, it's a little bit easier. But you know, I'm still coming and going at weird hours, so yeah, I, I guess there, it is a bit of a challenge. But it's been a good one. What uh, What did you do to get through the days, the, the the long hours at at work with two hours of sleep? Uh, you know, you, uh, you, you coffee's a nice friend, <laughs> um, and I think when you look at you know, how you go through when you're preparing and you're, you're constantly going, once you're going, you're used to it. Uh, and you can get through, I've always found for me, I can always get through a day. Cause obviously I've had a weird schedule for, I don't know, 15 years. So, you know, I would get in at, you know, two or three in the morning, I'd be up by six or seven anyway, even, even pre Kenlin. And then I would just go all day. And then just, you know, that next night I would catch up and just, it took a while to catch up. Let's put it that way. Did you hit a wall at any point where maybe you, like you tried to stand up and you, you just couldn't or you're on the call with Weber and, and words just didn't come out? Uh, you know, I, I, Weber might have got into a story once in a while where I probably don't remember the story because <laughs> I probably might have dozed off a little bit. But, you know, I think for the most part, uh, nah, you know, it wasn't as bad because... You know, my wife, Caitlin, who you know, is, you know, she's great on some of that, too. So if if we had a really busy week and I was getting home way late at night, you know, she'd take a shift here and there and and help out so that I could get maybe four hours of sleep, you know, just, to, you know, at a certain stretch. Right. You'd still get your sleep. Like, you know, I would get up at, you know, maybe two in the morning with her feed her. She would go back to sleep and then I would go back to sleep. So. You know, I mean, I just didn't have more. I might have had four or five hours, but it was just always broken up. And right, uh, you know, you you your body is amazing at how it adjusts. I know. I think, I think people we don't, you know, you don't think about it that much. But so many people have children, 
and then they get used to how that works and how that operates and your body adjusts and then all of a sudden you know after a month or so you're you know you sleep two hours here two hours here two hours here and all of a sudden your body is adjusted and says you know what we got our six hours we're good let's go and and you go all day and then you know and then you do it again the next night it's it's amazing what the body can do and you learn a lot about it when you have a kid I think being like that's where the parental DNA takes over because you you don't have a choice. I remember there were some times in my career where I was briefly on a split shift where I would do the mornings and really early, go home and then have to come back in the afternoon. And my I felt like but like my appendages were leaving my body. I felt so disoriented. Right. And but but again though, you after a while your body was like, "Oh, this is our routine." And it's amazing what what the body can do and and how it can handle things. And, you know, now it's weird when, you know, we go through a lot of nights where she sleeps right through. I mean, you know, last night's a great example. She went to sleep at 8.30. She didn't get up till 8 this morning. We never heard from her. You know, it was, was, uh, you know, an amazing thing. But then once in a while, she'll have a night where she struggles. And then all of a sudden at like 1 or 2 in the morning, she's yelling out. And you wake up, even if you don't go in. You know, and you let her figure it out and get back to sleep, you still wake up. You know, you're up, what's she doing? You're looking at the monitor, all those things. But, and then all of a sudden you're really tired that next day because your body's been like, well, we've been sleeping. What is going on here now? We've switched back to the normal schedule. And, uh, you know, then it, but you adjust. It's, it's amazing. And, and I, you know, I can't, I can't speak for other people, but I know how mine has been. And it's just amazing how the body can adjust to all these things. You said looking at the monitor, and I immediately flashed to what you have done for most of your adult life. Do you ever look at the monitor and have that feeling like you're actually looking at the monitor on the ice for a replay or something like that? It is kind of (laughs) weird because, yes, I have done so much looking at replays over my life that it it is pretty crazy to think about, you know, and I look at a monitor to see if she's taking a nap or sleeping or, you know, if she's up or whatever. It it is, uh, you know, sometimes I watch, you know, sometimes you just watch. Oh, she's sleeping, you know, you just watch it. Do you ever want to do a play-by-play of it? Does, Does that instinct kick in? No, not really, actually. I, you know, and, and even when I'm hanging with her, like today I am, you know, I don't do much of that. Uh, but it is kind of funny. A couple of nights when we've been on the TV side and, you know, Caitlin will throw the game on and Caitlin will see me on the screen and she'll stop what she's doing to watch and see what I'm doing and, and listens to it. And I've had her do a couple of games now where she's been in the booth and, uh, you know, she wants to play with the microphone so much. But, you know. Hey, it's kind of neat, and it's it's really a cool experience. Something I wish I had done earlier in my life, but you know, I'm really happy that it's it now, and and that I have her. What's your favorite? What's been your favorite part so far? So far, of being a dad. I I think watching her develop and grow. You know, and now the the things she's learning. You know, of where things are at, and you know how to do things, and now she's. You know, now she crawls everywhere, but she can pull herself up on everything. She walks around the coffee table, like just watching the development of her as, you know, especially the last couple months is, you know, she's starting to figure it out and that personality starting to come out for her. Uh, you know, it's it's been really cool. I, I've had that a little bit with my niece as well as my my brother and his girl keep me up to date with things because the first three or four months or whatever it is it's like yeah it, it just kind of sits there eats and poops and sleeps and then all of a sudden like the smiles come out and the giggles and they start to like things or dislike things so I, I know what you're saying 
Yeah, it, it's really cool. And watching her, because, you know, we're to that point where she's eating regular, some regular food now, and we, you know, we're trying different things with her. And it's just kind of fun to watch that development. And it really is a cool thing. It, it, it is awesome to see her, you know, really try something new and then to see her face. Oh, she likes it. She's eating more. Okay, great. You know, and, uh, you know, those things that, you know, or she figures out a new toy that she, oh, a new part to a toy even. You know, oh, this used to play music. I figured out that this button plays it different. You know, it's just that, you know, watching her figure things out is just really cool. What's her favorite food? Um, you know, she doesn't really have one right now. We have not, knock on wood, we have not run into anything that she has not liked so far. So, you know, we're, we're, we're doing good on that side. Does she have a favorite character or anything yet? No, not any of that yet. No, she doesn't even, uh, you know, she'll look at the, you know, TV if it's on once in a while, but she doesn't really pay too much attention to it. She's she's kind of in her own little world and likes to play with, uh, you know, her toys and stuff. And she's really into the music stuff right now where she can play things and press buttons and it changes tunes and, you know, does things like that. We found even a little, like, TV remote for her that plays music and does different languages, too. So she, you know, presses like the five and it says five. And then it, you know, if she presses a different button, it's, it does it in Spanish. It does it in French. It's kind of funny watching her just kind of work on it, you know? Well, good. Congratulations. I'm glad everything is going well 11 months into this. Well, beyond, I guess, 20 months or so into this whole project. Yeah, you know, it is a project. I think that's a good way to put it. And, you know, I, I think it's something that, you know, I hope everyone gets a chance to experience one day in their life because it's really cool. I have not met my niece yet. I was going to go home over the holidays, but we, we got that one big storm and I didn't want to risk the turnpike. And I said to my brother, I was like, well, can, can Noelle and I FaceTime? And he said, she'll just, she's a starer, like when strangers come, she's <laughs> To stare i'm like that's totally fine paul i'll sit and stare at her until we both fall asleep <laughs> see that's fantastic i've done a few facetimes when i've been on the road with kenlin and all she does is push the screen and all of a sudden she'll take weird photos of me on the other end of it and then uh then she hangs up after a while when she figures <laughs> out that button <laughs> um let's uh let's swing over so okay for the for the first first half of the season third third of the season it's nothing it's like nothing i've ever experienced and i'm sure you as well since i've been following walleye hockey like this team was stuck in the mud like never before uh and then i'll ask you the other half of that question why the slow start especially when they had so many familiar faces back you know, it's it just wasn't the right mix. I think it just you know it did, we weren't scoring goals and we were allowing too many. Just it it felt like you know even if we would hold teams to shots you know into the twenties or something we'd still give up four goals. And I think there was a lot of different factors into that. A, I don't think our defense was as great, and B, you know our goaltending was young and learning, uh, and you know those things sometimes can't go hand in hand as as you know eric uh, they're not good to go hand in hand there you either have to have a really strong decor if you've got young goalies that are you know well in kosa's case young goalie john letham coming off of a surgery over the summer so he hadn't really had a training camp and and we didn't really see him until november anyway so when you when you factor those things in we were you know, I mean, the stats-wise told you we were giving up three and a half goals a game. We were only scoring two and a half. You were, you were just going to lose games. And, and some of those games, we even played well enough to win, and it just didn't happen for us. And then uh, you hit the new year, and, and really, actually, it started around Christmas time. You know, Dan was able to add a defenseman, you know, by the name of Riley McCord, who was coming off an injury and had nowhere to play. And 
Uh, Toledo ends up getting him in. And then Charlie Curdy, same thing. Guys that were coming off of, you know, injuries or in Curdy's case, he was overseas and comes back. And, and then those two went into our lineup and all of a sudden we got better defensively. And then we started to win some games because our offense started coming along. We got some guys down from the American League, Tutayev, Warad, uh, Bliss, and all these. All of a sudden, everything started, that mix started to click. And then you started winning games, and we started really winning in January. And then all of a sudden, the players were like, oh, you know what? This defensive style of hockey that you know Dan wants us to play, Dan Watson, you know, it works. We actually limit teams scoring and we end up scoring a lot of goals. And sometimes even when you have returning guys, sometimes they get into roles that they're not great in and then they don't produce at the same level. And then, you know, then all of a sudden they get dialed back into a different role, the normal role, and it works for them. And, and I think that mix just wasn't right at the beginning of the year. And it just, it started to click in in January and you can see the difference now. It had to be fun um, and a good feeling for other teams around the league. They could finally beat up the walleye after being beaten up by the walleye for so many years. And then, again, like you've described, that switch flipped after Christmas. And since then, have they lost more than three games? Um, actually, no. Uh, you know, it's 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 been really crazy. Matter of fact, only one. You go back to mid-January. I think it was January 14th off the top of my head when Toledo lost 7-4 to four to Fort Wayne at home. And, you know, at that point, we were, I think, 4-2 and two or something in January. I'm, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It's been, it's been a couple months, you know. There's a lot that's happened since then. At, at, but since that point, Toledo lost on January 27th to Cincinnati in regulation 4-2. They lost an overtime at Cincinnati on February 3rd, 5-4 in, over, in a shootout, actually. And maybe the longest hockey game not to go to overtime in playoff, non-playoff history. That three hours and twenty minutes, I still remember because it, it was miserable. <laughs> but it, it so those are the only two times Toledo has not had a victory, going Eight. all the way back to mid-January. It's crazy. Eighteen straight wins, right? Yes, um, and and eighteen zero and one in their last twenty, going back to that loss January twenty seventh in regulation to Cincy. This calendar year has been something completely different from the beginning of the season. What? Uh, what? That's a team record. Is there? Uh, is there an ECHL or minor league record for wins consecutively? There, there is an ECHL record is twenty three. Okay. That was set by South Carolina in two thousand and fifteen. Uh, matter of fact, they actually beat Toledo in one of those games. They actually came through mm-hmm. Toledo there in late March, and they were they were still winning games. And they won, and then they lost a couple games after that uh, is when they actually had their streak end. It was 23 straight, so uh, still five away from that mark uh, for Toledo. And then on the road side, we've won uh, 11 straight there, which is second to South Carolina. South Carolina won 13 in that stretch. Uh, unfortunately, we only have one road game left, so we can't catch them on that regard. However... This team can set a new ECHL record if they win that game in Kalamazoo on April 14th as the now would be the most wins on the road ever in ECHL history. They're tied uh, right now. There's four other teams reached 26. Toledo's of 26 right now, so could still set a record yet. 
Yeah, this is a historic season and kind of surprising if after, again, the way they started stuck in neutral. So um, forecast a little bit. Um, I'm still waiting for my parade up, down, left, right on Summit or, or Washington. They, they keep getting so darn close. Uh, what does this team's outlook look like going towards the playoffs? Well, I think it it's going to depend a little bit. I, I mean, I love the way they're playing defensively, but, you know, it's really changed from February to March, okay? In February, our average score was 5-1. to one. You were scoring a ton of goals, not giving up any. They're still only allowing a goal to goal and a half a game right now in March. The difference is that goals four has dropped to, you know, between three and four. So, you know, I mean, I think you're going to need, and, and it helps the Grand Rapids and Detroit looks like they, you know, obviously aren't going to be playoff teams. So now, you know, you have that possibility of getting Drew Warrad and Trenton Bliss and Kirill Tutayev back offensively. If those things happen, then I think you have a very good outlook. I think right now it's it's good, but I think it gets so much better if you get those guys back. Plus, you, you know, hopefully you get a Mitchell Hurd back, who's who's done well for Belleville in the American Hockey League. Hopefully you get Riley McCourt back, uh, who's up right now in the American Hockey League with Colorado. Uh, you know, as long as you can get those guys back in and you don't lose anyone to big injuries... Uh, going forward because you're going to get T.J. Hensick in here soon. Uh, whether it's this weekend or next, he's going to have to start getting into some games here soon. Uh, so you're going to get him back into the lineup, uh, you know, and get him going, which will be very helpful. I think the outlook is good. It just gets way better if you get those guys back out of the American League. They're a point behind Cincinnati in their division. Wow, uh, Idaho has 99 points. Is there? Uh, it, it, do they have a new rivalry with Cincinnati? For you know, in the years past, it's been Fort Wayne. Who do they really? This calendar year, the answer is no one. But who have they really struggled with recently? You know, Cincinnati's been the team. I mean, if you look at it, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that you know the only two losses that they've had since mid-January were to Cincinnati. Uh, I think Cincinnati's got a very good team. Uh, you know, they're they're solid everywhere. They can score. They're good defensively. I think their goaltending is probably the only spot that's a little, you know, iffy. Uh, but Beck Warm's been playing better down there because they're on a heater, too. I mean, Toledo's won 18 in a row. They've won you know, unbeaten in regulation in 20 straight. And you, like you said, you just mentioned it, they're still a point behind yeah. Cincinnati yeah. because Cincinnati hasn't lost in regulation like 16 games. So, uh, you know, they're, they're rolling, too, uh, and they still have a game in hand on Toledo. So, uh, you know, the task is it's still tall to finish in first in the division. It can be done. The two teams do play each other on April seventh in Toledo, so that could be a that could be a massive game for who wins the division. Next week is going to be really fun. I can't recall since I've been here. There's going to be a triple double header because assuming there's no weather uh, creations with the mud hens, but we got mud hens, we got ball games every day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then hockey games as well. Yeah, you know what? I can't think of a time either where we've had that match up so perfectly like this. But it is we are starting early for baseball, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've never had games in March in, in Toledo, and we're going to have one of those on March 31st at 4 o'clock. And then you're right. You're going to go 7 o'clock hockey, 4 o'clock on Saturday baseball, 7 o'clock hockey, and then 2 o'clock Sunday baseball, 5 o'clock hockey. So, yeah, it's going to be... It is going to be a massive weekend in downtown Toledo. Maybe the biggest we've seen in a long time. And by the time Monday rolls around, I can't imagine like how bloodshot your eyes will be. 
Uh, my eyes will be bloodshot, <laughs> and we'll see if I even have a voice left. No, I, uh, you know, I won't do all of the baseball games that weekend. I'll, I'll do the home opener. I'll probably, you know, just do hockey on Saturday and maybe only hockey on Sunday. So, uh, you know, I'll kind of back off a little bit, or at least I'll go over and just do part of the baseball game. So, you know, just uh, got to keep, uh, you know, I'm the main play-by-play guy, right, for hockey. We have the Hall of Famer, Jim Weber, for baseball. So, you know, I can, I can relax a little bit on the baseball side. We are, we're doing the show live. We're doing my afternoon show live from 12 to 3 next Friday at Paco. So stop on by, please. Okay, we'll, we'll make sure I make that a, a priority to get over there. Before we swing uh, all the way over to hens and baseball stuff, which I think we both love these conversations, tell me a little bit about your partner in a lot of the telecasts, uh, Kendall. Yeah, Kendall's been great. Uh, you know, she's uh, you know she's obviously local. She came uh, out of Sylvania Southview, played goal there, went to Bowling Green, played on their women's team down there, again, goalie. Uh, and and she's got a she's got a very good mind as far as uh, you know the the sport of hockey goes, and you know it, it, right now it's developing her on the broadcast side. She really wants to be, uh, you know, a next uh, great analyst in hockey, and she definitely has the mindset for it. Uh, she's got the desire to do it, and and it's just that development that she's going through right now, especially early in your broadcast career. There's a lot of stumbling blocks and you know things that you have to overcome, and she's working on those. She's got a bright future, I think. Yeah, she's good people, and I like her dad as well. I'm glad that oh, uh, she fantastic. Can, I'm glad she could matriculate like the way that you talked about how a local girl, and then maybe she'll be uh, up at the Red Wings one day or somebody else. Yeah, it, it could be amazing. I, you know, I think the sky's the limit for her. She has that drive. Uh, that you have to have and 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 she's really talented she is very talented you could see it in certain spots when we're doing games you can really tell she's got a lot of talent um let's swing over to mud hens what does this season portend for them last year at this time we were trying to talk about all these hot prospects that were not likely to start with the tigers and we can come back to the tigers in a second um what we have new manager this year uh it's not lloyd mcclendon although who knows lloyd can just show up back again um (laughs) bit of a different uh different leadership for this team um what does 2023 look like for the mud hens well i think i think one thing you have is yes you're right new manager anthony iaposi is going to take over i've talked to him a couple of times now uh you know he's a younger guy uh you know i think he's got a lot of bright ideas and you know i think he's a very good baseball mind he can't, he comes out of the boston organization he's been a hitting coach at the major league level with the cubs years ago so uh you know he's got that he, it, the, the one thing he does not have is a lot of managerial experience so that'll be new for him uh, a little bit but one thing he has is some stability with the staff uh you know when you look tony capicelli is back as the bench coach uh you know the, those guys are very key now in baseball uh you got doug bockler back uh, you know as the pitching coach you have mike hessman uh, returning to toledo as the hitting coach there's just a lot of familiarity with that organization and and that group of people there that you know anthony told me when i chatted with him a couple months ago he said you know what i'm going to lean on those guys especially early guys that you know have an idea of how it goes in triple a every day you know he was more of a roving uh hitting guy with the boston red sox last year although he was with uh, worcester when they played in toledo so he's already familiar with our ballpark which is nice and uh, you know, but I think I think that's where it starts. I, I think you got a great group there. There's a reason why the Tigers, even with a new GM and kind of a new staff and place in a lot of areas, decided to keep those guys still with Toledo. Yes, that tells important. you a lot. 
We uh, last year at this time we were talking about Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson and some of the young pitchers, uh, and then they were either bad or got hurt. So I know last year we were very we were very positive about the Tigers and like the Baez signing didn't really work out. But I'm just going to chalk it up to like everybody that they wanted to count on got hurt at the same time, mostly in the pitching. So what do what are some players to look forward to on the mud ends this year, and then guys that might go back up and forth uh, between Detroit and here, and then guys that'll be on rehab stints at some point? I'll tell you what, it's it's crazy right now, but I mean, we're what, a week, a week and a half away from having, you know, the opening day, and we're still trying to piece together a roster right now yeah. for the Mudhens, and, and it happens a lot this time of year because guys are still on the big league side, not quite sure who's going to be sent down, although we know Alex Fiedo is going to probably start with us. Uh, Brendan Davis, who was with us last year, is going to start with us. Uh, they, those two were reassigned down yesterday uh, to the to the minor league camp, so they'll be in Toledo. Uh, so there's at least a, f- a few familiar names there. I think yeah, I think you're going to look at more of a veteran club this year because uh, you know a lot of the prospect side are are down further. Uh, in the Tigers organization this year, uh, you know, I, I think interesting uh, to see a few of those guys, guys that they're brought in that that could be here. I know they picked up a catcher that was with Milwaukee's organization last year. I think we could see in Toledo that, that could be interesting. A guy that goes up and down maybe, uh, although he's still with the Tigers, he could make their club for all we know. Uh, you know, there's there's some guys that I think will be interesting to keep an eye on, and it'll be just. It'll be interesting to watch this group. I think Andre Lipsius is another guy that's had a really strong spring. Can he make the Tigers out of camp? I don't know. Uh, or will they go with more of a veteran guy like Cesar Hernandez that's there? And maybe they send Lipsius to us so he continues to get full-time at bats. He did well in his short stint with Toledo last year. They may want to see him have another uh, another run in Toledo and see if he can keep going what he's done in spring because he's been a very good hitter for the Tigers down there in Lakeland. I am extremely excited, uh, and I wasn't for, we talked about this last year, I wasn't for all the rule changes, but I am very excited for them because I think we got a, a glimpse of it when Scherzer was out there for like his first or second start in Florida a couple weeks ago. There's going to be some zaniness. You have very smart people who are going to find some unintended consequences in these rules, and we're going to see things that we've never imagined before on a baseball field. I think you're 100% right. Guys will find a way to, to skirt the rules, so to speak, right? Uh, they're gonna they're gonna try to find a way to make it work for them. Whether it's gonna be a pitcher that that knows you know you know a batter that doesn't like to stand in right away and you know he's gonna get set quickly and 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 try to deliver a pitch as fast as possible to try to catch a hitter off guard or you know you're gonna have a hitter that's gonna say well this guy likes to work quick so I'm gonna try to slowly you know try to set up and make sure I'm still you know tapping the plate not quite ready to go you know there's gonna be some interesting little things. That, that get done, but I've, I've seen the rules for the, you know, obviously the last couple of years in minor leagues, I think they're a good thing, and I think it's going to speed up the game of baseball, and as these guys, once they get over the, you know, I can't believe we're doing this, once they get settled into this is the way baseball is going to be, I think it'll start to settle down a little bit on that end, and you'll you'll see the game actually speed up, and that that's the thing. It's not, everybody talks about the time of the game, Eric. It's not about the time of the game. It's about the action. how to get the pace going. Yes. Yeah. yeah, just to get to the action plays more quickly. It's not 
it's not that the time of the game is that big a deal, although it has been in basically a three-hour game every year for years now. And you go back to the 80s, it was two hours and 20 minutes yeah. to play a game. And, and and that's it with nobody changing anything. And, you know, I think they need to find a way to get back to that. And, and some of it is, you know, like the rule that you had to face three batters last year unless an inning came to an end. You know, that, that added to a little bit of speed to it because guys were getting changed left and right. And all these pitching changes were slowing the game down so much and then to the point where it's just dragging and i think you need to have that pace and you know i i'm i'm in favor of it and i'm a younger person obviously like you and you're in favor of it and then when when jim weber's been in favor of this that's when i know we're probably on the right track because you know he wants to see the game go faster too he has he has a he has tea times he has uh <laughs> chunks waiting for him at dirty birds so absolutely yeah i uh the one rule the one that you didn't mention that i think is going to cause all the squirreliness is only two pickoffs, and then you either have to you have to either get the guy or he gets the base. I think you're going to see some weird stuff with that. Yeah, you could, you could. Although I do like the rule because it's going to promote guys moving along more, and and it adds that element of the game that has been kind of missing the last few years. I mean, you got nobody that steals bases anymore, Eric. Yeah. They just sit on first, waiting to be moved along. Well, you know, now a guy like, I, I, this is weird that I'm going to bring this name up, but a guy like Asturi, I don't even yeah. know if I'm pronouncing it right, Asturi Ruiz. Ruiz for Oakland, who's a speed guy. He just he ran gets around on base and he's speed guy. Yeah. Yeah. He just ran about on the bases last year like a, like a, like a T ball kid because he had so much speed. I think he stole like 70 or 80 bases across all the levels he was at. Yeah. He's, he's, he's unbelievably fast. And now, granted, I don't know if he's a great enough hitter to, to really make a huge difference. But if he gets on base, he, you know what? He can also be a guy you carry for late innings. He gets on base. He steals your second. He could steal your third. All of a sudden, if you need a run, it's an important part of the game again, and it's going to put a premium on, you know, like you said, yes, it could be some zaniness with it, but let's face it. There were a lot of times where guys threw over to first base with no intention of ever picking off the guy. Right. Yeah. You know, it was a token toss to slow things down, and that that's what you need to have out of the game. And I'd like to see like a guy like that because th- this is where I think you'll have like these uh, these games of chicken where somebody like that facing maybe somebody who isn't comfortable like throwing over that often. Like, I remember how John Lester was afraid to throw over. Sure. Astoria Ruiz or some speed demon out there, Billy Hamilton 2K23, is going to take like a 15-foot lead and dare you to throw over. I think we're going to see some real strategy with that this year. It, it, it also might bring the pickoff actually back into the game more. And, and the reason why I say that is because you're right. Guys are going to try to push the lead a little more because they used to take a lead knowing you're just going to token toss over. You're not really going to try to stop, man. You know, and it could make guys that, you know, have been, you know, there, there's always everybody gets a base or two here and there. I mean, even Carlos Santana and some other guys will steal a base here and there because they'll catch you snoozing, right? Uh, over the course of a long season, even Miguel Cabrera's got some steals in his career, you know. But now you could have those guys that might steal, you know, five to 15 bases a year. They just they would just catch the right time to go. Maybe those guys become 20 to 25 stolen base guys. 
that adds a little bit more into the game. Now you're getting more action into the game. You're making more strategy into the game. When do guys go? I think it's a great thing. I, I just, I, I think the game was getting so stale that they needed to do something. And we've seen it the last couple of years in AAA. And it, and it adds to the game. Even the bigger bases. I know it doesn't seem like it's a lot. It's a few inches. But you know what? It also is for safety and the fact that it's going to promote more stolen bases, which adds more action into the game. And, yeah. and it and it means a team that doesn't have to be a home run team to win. And that's where the baseball has gotten so home run heavy that, you know, everybody swings for the fences. Well, those guys don't have to. You don't have to have nine hitters that swing for the fences all the time. You can have an Asturi Ruiz on your roster. You and I, uh, uh, we're, this was not our team, but we are certainly of the era of the mid-80s Cardinals who barely hit any home runs and got to a World Series, I believe. But the the Vince Coleman's, the William McGee's, these disciples of Ricky Henderson, where, yeah, they just they just matriculated around the bases because they were such speed demons. I'm sure if you took like a 30-year-old kid or a 30-year-old guy or a 25-year-old baseball fan and showed some of these baseball cards from like 1980, some of them they've never heard of, and go, yeah, that guy stole 63 bases that year, they wouldn't believe it. Right, exactly, because it's been such a lost part of the game. Everything's about home runs and strikeouts. That's it. That's the way the game is boiled down to now in the last couple of years. It's it's like we've lost half of the game. And, and, you know, they're trying to find a way to do it. Maybe in a year or two, they might go, hey, these rules just aren't working. We got to go back to getting rid of this, you know, for the pickoff rule, because too many guys are getting that third pickoff and they're getting the second base easily. You know, it's it, maybe they, they will find that, that that's not necessary. I, I, just after seeing it last year in AAA, that the pickoff rule, I don't think it's going to change it as much. It's just going to promote a little bit more running. And that's not a bad thing. More action is a good thing. Let me ask you this. I saw someone write it up back in the fall and haven't seen much more of it. Um, With pitchers having to work quicker. So one of the things, I I don't know how much more action we're going to see uh, on face value because if guys are still throwing all the filthy stuff they are and the strike zone is as is, if they can't hit it, there won't be any action. We haven't really moved anything forward. But I do wonder if pitchers being forced to work quicker and not always use a hundred percent of their delivery because they've got to save something in the tank that those some of those pitches will go from 98 and filthy to maybe 96 with a little less movement making things more hittable basically saying these guys might be a little bit more fatigued and it might be easier to hit is there any validity to any of that uh, it, it, I would think it would be possible, yes, because you're not standing out there forever, you know, getting a ton of rest in between every pitch. So you can't max velocity all the time. You've got to be a little bit quicker. Although I think as we go along, Eric, uh, when you look, the pitch clock's been in the minor leagues now for a couple of years. So you have a lot of guys that are already used to it. Matter of fact, it's a second quicker at the at the minor league level so you got guys that you know are making big league debuts that are going to be like this is the same as what i've been pitching in in triple a or double a you know or single a you know so as we go along it's yeah it's going to be rough for the guys that have been major leaguers like like a scherzer that's been a major leaguer for 10 years hasn't been in the minor leagues for anything and when he goes into minor leagues he's on rehab he doesn't have a pitch clock right so you know because they didn't have it in the major league level now it'll take them a little while to figure that out and and they might have to uh, you know 
adjust how they do things. But the minor league guys, the guys that are coming up, the guys that will be making their major league debuts uh, this year or last year or, you know, guys that have been used to pitching with a pitch clock, it's not going to bother them too much. And I don't think you would have that, that same issue. I think as we go along in the next probably five to ten years, if it all stays, which I think it will, I think you're going to see that not even become a factor anymore. So guys are going to continue to throw harder and harder with filthier stuff and the strikeouts will just continue. And it doesn't matter what side of second base you're on because you can't hit it anyway. Well, that's true too. <laughs> but you know what? You How many guys can really throw it that hard and control it constantly? I'll, I'll, more than ever. Did you see this kid from the Angels the other day? The kid from Tennessee? 104? Yes. 104. I did see that. It's... <laughs> It's insane, and I you know. But then again, you also got to look at how many pitchers are getting hurt now too, and and I don't know if there's a correlation to that. When you're throwing that hard and that much max effort all the time, is that causing a guy to get hurt more often? Where you look at you know a guy like Mark Burley for the White Sox who doesn't throw overly hard, but he you know he can get it up there, but yet he's had a very long career because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't throw max effort all the time. You know, even Justin Verlander never threw max effort until he really needed it. Right. You know, he he, he was always a guy who would sit, you know, he'd start a game in the first inning, he'd be at ninety two, yep. ninety one. And then, you know, maybe by the fifth or sixth as he got loose, he would be, you know, he could throw ninety four, ninety five, and maybe even ninety eight. You know, these guys don't you know, and he's had a long career, so you know, maybe pitchers need to look at some of that too and go you know what if i throw 94 more often than 98 am i is my career going to last longer but you know maybe you can't get guys out at 94 maybe you got to go to 98 to get guys out and then you know you just you just go with it but i i think i think you got to watch that too because i think guys are going to be getting injured because of the fact you are using max effort all the time yeah it's uh it's something that we need i know tom verducci did one of those studies years ago about innings jumps and things like that yeah we could use something like that um because there were people that kept track of all the rotator cough injuries and the elbow stuff and now now something to watch and again i, I just see this anecdotally from reading stories it seems like we have a lot of side and core issues with hitters because they're doing max things on their end with the torque sure. of the body. So now that we've developed all these great aspects to get the most out of the human body, we've got to, as you said, keep these people healthy because it's not worth anything if you can't stay out there. That's very true as well. But you know what? In a player, you got to look at it from a player's perspective. If I'm a pitcher and I know if I can have one or two really good years, I'm going to get paid, right? I'm going to get big money. If I'm a hitter, if I can put together two or three really good years, I'm going to get paid. And, you know, as, especially if you're a minor leaguer, I need to get to this. Yeah. How am I going to get to the big league level? If I'm a guy in AAA and I throw 94 and I I have trouble getting guys out, but if I throw 97 or 98, all of a sudden I get guys out, I get to the big league level, it's a lot more money. Yep. Uh, you know, so, I mean, you, you, you know, from a player's side, I totally get it. You want to get to that level and you want to be able to stay. And, you know, it, 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 there's, there's, it's a fine line. It really is, Eric. It's a tough one. I mean, we all love seeing it. I mean, didn't you like seeing that guy from the Angels throwing 104? <laughs> Who doesn't like that? You know, when Chapman came around and he was throwing every pitch at 101, 102, you were like, man, this guy's a freak. This is awesome. We love this. You know, and, you know, guys hitting a bunch of home runs, Aaron Judge last year hitting all those home runs. You're like, man, this is great. You know, like it's it's great for the game. And, 
And, you know, there's the pros and the cons of it. Obviously, unfortunately, we've talked about some of the cons today, but there's also the pros to it of, of how great the game can be when those guys are performing at such a high level. Is there something, aside from the rules, a team, a player, a storyline, the end of Miguel Cabrera that you're looking forward to uh, in the sport in general this season? Uh, you know, I think the Cabrera thing's a great line as well. And I, and I want to see if, you know, some of these other teams that are close – like the Baltimore Orioles have so many young prospects that are really good. You know, is that going to translate to them making that next jump? You know, they 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 did very well last year. Is it going to make to that where they're able to make that big jump? I think is a is a great storyline. Uh, you know, I I want to see if some of these teams can compete on a consistent basis again, like Tampa. You know, who doesn't spend a lot of money? Are they going to still be able to field a team that's going to be competitive in a playoff team? Can they do that? Because the way baseball's gone, you know, it, I feel like, you know, some teams just are, you know, they have to either hit home runs with all their prospects hitting at the right time or they're not going to be able to compete like the Cincinnati Reds. You know, the Reds are a team that is, unless they have everybody going at the same time, all these prospects, they're not going to compete. Pittsburgh is the same way. And I, I just want to see some of those teams, you know, can they find that balance to, to compete on a consistent basis and get back up there? You know, I think Seattle's done a great job. They're going to be a great story this year uh, to see if they can compete with Houston this year in that division. Uh, you know, I have, I have a former Hens manager, Phil Nevin, full-time guy now with the Angels. Uh, Los Angeles out there, so let's see how he does this year with Trout and Otani, uh, and you know they they have a pretty decent roster going into the year, so they could be a surprise team a little bit in the American League and in the NL. Can anyone compete with the Dodgers? I, uh, I mean, frankly, uh, maybe the Phillies. Well, the Dodgers, I, uh, they've won how many ever hundred games the last couple of seasons, but uh, people are really kind of like panning the Dodgers this year, and rightly so, because there's there's no Bueller. You've lost some of your veterans. You've got injuries. So while I don't think they're going to drop to 78 wins, 91 might get them laughed by the Padres. So so they're going to be an interesting story. They are, except, you know, this is what the what the Dodgers do is they just go, okay, yep, we got a hole now at second base. Oh, we have this really good uh, hitting prospect named Miguel Vargas. Yeah. We're just going to pop him right in there to second. We've been, uh, you know, holding on to him. He probably should have been up last year and playing a full-time role, and they didn't do that. Now, all of a sudden, in spring, he's tearing the cover off the ball. It probably, he's going to be... I mean, a lot of people think he's a really good prospect, top 30 in baseball. So, you know, they just, they're just holding guys. Like, they, they just do. I mean, you know, a guy like Ryan Pepia would start for a lot of teams. He may not make their rotation for for the Dodgers because they've got other guys that are doing great. Michael Grove's another one that, you know, he's like, a, he's like 20th on their list, but he's a guy who's probably top 10 in a lot of other teams. So, you know, whether... No matter what you do, the Dodgers still have a farm system that keeps producing guys. I think some of the, the depth issues will catch up to them. Sure, this year. it could. It was a big deal that they lost Gavin Lux for all that they were counting on with him. Correct. I think, I think Gonzalez is banged up. And by no means are they going to just fall apart. Um, but it will probably be, that division will probably be much more up for grabs than it has been in the last five or seven years. But you're right. They, they turn these players out. It's what Andrew Friedman does. It's what made him so good with the Rays and with the Dodgers. They find these dudes. Did you see the Vargas story from early in spring training where they sent him up there to not swing? Correct. Yeah, they, yeah. he took a whole bunch of pitches and that was it. That's yeah. all he did because he, he was coming back off of a hand injury. But. Yeah. You know, yeah, and then all of a sudden they let him hit, and I think uh, I think he was hitting 500 over the last whatever it is, 20 at bats or something. I mean, 
you know, they're, they're sitting there going, oh, yeah, we lost, you know, Lux. Uh, no, man, we're going to be in trouble. Oh, no, we'll just move Vargas to second. Like, like they just they they're 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 such a really well run organization that can go and buy any player they want, but they also build through the minor leagues, which is it, it's like you said you you mentioned Friedman. It's a great example. He has the Tampa Bay thought with money. Yeah, if, and it's it's scary. I if I'm the Dodgers right now with the way they're lining this thing up, and I, I was so glad when they won a couple of years ago for Dave Roberts, and they had knocked that door for so long, they finally got over the hump. I got to think that similar to some other teams, like when the Giants didn't get uh, Aaron Judge and when everybody had their Correa deals fall apart and and that kind of like throws your plans way up into the air. I got to think if the Dodgers don't get as far as they usually do this year, God forbid, even miss the playoffs and they don't get Otani, this will have not worked out well because it seems like that's what they're aiming for. Yeah, and they and they have the money to do it. So I yeah. don't think there's any there's any reason to think that they wouldn't, unless he just doesn't want to cross right. the river or whatever it is out there, or just go to you know cross the street and go to go to the Dodgers from the Angels. But you know I, I think that'll depend on him. But yeah, I think I think you. I think you. I think they're still going to be good, and you know the Padres spent all that money. We'll see if that helps them out, and and maybe they can be competitive in there. See, and then you get a team like Colorado. You just feel for their fans <laughs> because they. How are they supposed to compete with yep. that? Yeah. You know, in all honesty, how are they really? They they got They have to draft pitchers and hope they can figure out how to pitch in their ballpark, and then because they can't get free agents to go there, and and they got to hope they can hit their way to a playoff spot. It's there there's there is that little issue with baseball that I, I'd love to find a way that we could balance that out a little bit better because it is difficult you either have to hit on all your prospects if you're one of these other teams or you have to be able to spend a lot of money to to be competitive each and every year and you just can't do that I mean look at the Tigers they they've been on a rebuild forever now it, you know Baltimore it took them forever to kind of get to where they're at a point now where it looks like they have some light at the end of the tunnel where maybe they might spend some money because they could you know they 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 might be good enough to do so and you know you look at teams like Kansas City they got to have all their prospects hit when they don't now they're rebuilding again yep. you know it's it's crazy i don't know the, the specific economics of it i know it is to some degree but i i wish whatever luxury tax teams were paying had does go to the other teams but they have to put x amount which would be a large percentage back into roster building or else you don't yeah. get the, or else you don't get the money that's that's uh, that'd be a great way to look at it. That would be a good way to look at it. Yeah, you know, hey Pittsburgh, we know he just gave you fifty million. Right. Why is your payroll only thirty eight? Like it should be at least fifty. They they're what they probably need to get to is where they have at least a floor a salary floor yep. in baseball. And that, that would help things out a little bit. And, you know, it would that would bring some teams up that would keep teams from having to say, well, we're just going to have all these prospects for a while and, and see how it goes. And, you know, I mean, Houston did it, though. They went to the terribleness, and then they were able to build up, and, and they've managed to stay up. Uh, for a while now now they spend money when they need to when they when they need to get a player to to come in and fill so i don't know i think i think there's there's some haves and haves nots and there's some good things and some bad things about every sport whether it's salary cap or not or luxury tax or however you want to look at it it, it, you know, I think there's some things that you can always improve on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we cannot do any better discussion unless we just sat here and chatted for hours, which I know we would both like to do. You have dad duty to get back to. Thanks as always <laughs> for the time. You bet. Uh, good luck with hockey and baseball. Uh, maybe this year I'll get my darn parade. And uh, next Friday, stop by Paco's around uh, between noon and three. And I want to do this again. 
I would love to do that, Eric. I appreciate it as always, man. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, tell Caitlin I said hi, and Kenlin does not have any idea who I am, but you can tell her I said hi too. I will I will do that whenever she wakes up from her nap. I'll go, hey, Eric, Chase says hi. And she'll look <laughs> at me, and, and she'll I'm sure she'll recognize it. <laughs> After a little slobber, perhaps like something gassy coming out of her butt. Yeah, there you go. That's the, that's the way it rolls, man. Appreciate it so much. All right, dude, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You bet. See ya. Bye.